Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. So I moved to Austin, Texas, 16 years ago from California, mostly L.A., North Hollywood area, and I stayed because of the fact that it felt like a home for me. I felt comfortable. I felt like I could be who I was, and I wasn't putting on a show, Um, and that made my heart smile. I'm Nicole Flowers, and this is I Love You So Much. Welcome to I Love You So Much, the Austin 360 podcast, a show for everyone caught up in an ongoing love affair with Austin, even if it's complicated. I'm your host, Tali Mosley. I'm Omar Gayaga. And I'm Addie Broyles, coming to you from the shores of Lady Bird Lake in the offices of the Austin American Statesman. In this week's episode, we're talking scooters, specifically those electric-powered ones that look like a children's toy have taken over the UT campus and might be weaving around your car at this very moment. We ask Statesman Transportation Editor Ben Ware how the city is responding and what it's like to ride one, and we share impassioned thoughts from you, our listeners. Ken Dunn, founder of GoRead.com, didn't finish high school. Now he's on a mission to end illiteracy with an Austin-based company that socializes and even gamifies your reading experience. Will GoRead.com disrupt the way you consume books? On this week's Web Report, Eric Webb reports some fake news at the University of Texas that left some fans of the UT Turtle Pond shell-shocked. We'll end, as always, with the toast, but let's start with Ben Ware, who's been triumphantly, if fearfully, bobbing around traffic on a scooter of his own. Ben Ware, welcome to I Love You So Much. Thank you. Glad to be here. So you've been following this scooter uh, controversy of sorts. These electric scooters have appeared all at once, all over town, concentrated in some areas like the UT campus. What's going on here? Who invented these and why have they hit Austin? Well, they're pretty common in China and have been for a while. But when when you talk about this stuff, a while might be two years. And what had happened with the city is that they'd been approached really almost a year ago on the bike question, dockless bikes. And frankly, there were lobbyists saying to me last summer that the city was slow playing these companies like Lime and Ofo and some others uh, on the bikes. And they even had, uh, they finally said, well, we're going to create a pilot program. And they were going through all sorts of bureaucratic stuff, including two days before these scooters showed up on the streets, they had a a forum for all these bike companies, and they pointedly excluded the scooter people. In some cases, it's the same people. And I haven't had this confirmed, but I think basically Bird said, well, the heck with that. You're going to let these bikes... Who is Bird? Bird is the first company that put scooters on, on the street here on April 5th. And I think they basically said, okay, we get the picture now. You're going to slow play us and then maybe eventually let the bikes go out there. And by then, we will have lost our moment. Mm, now, now, a l- classic now, Austin transportation. Yeah, <laughs> let, let me get this straight. So Conflict. a transportation company came to Austin 
did not like what the city was doing and then op- hmm. started operating illegally. Where is the precedent for this? That's so familiar. Yeah, I've never oh, I, I sure, you must be referring to Henry Ford back in the <laughs> early 1900s. Well, not or quite that far back. maybe it was that company whose activation at South by Southwest all t- attacked and almost killed me. <laughs> it rhymes with Bluebird. And of course, the Bird founder is a guy named uh, Travis Vander, Vander Zanden, just to make of it difficult. Of course it is. Uh, had been with Lyft and then with Uber. I see. Mm. Okay. Well, gotcha. Wow. I'm going to go into church lady mode here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, um, okay. So, thanks for laying out like the uh, the stakes with the city and the company. How do Austinites feel about them? Because it seems like we are all hearing from people who hate them, but they wouldn't be hating them if there weren't so many people using them. So, surely there's enthusiasm. Uh, I've certainly picked up on that. I, I think people are just intrigued because. After all, a scooter is a child's toy, right? And (laughs) most of us, you know, I'm the wrong generation, but we had skateboards, and and then my daughter had scooters, and it, frankly, it just looks fun. And it, even when you're bad at it, like I am, it's it is sort of fun. So I think people are reacting differently. Plus, it's extremely cheap. You know, when you first tried Uber or Lyft, it, yeah, this is great. Somebody comes and picks me up, and it's not a taxi. But, oh, shoot, it's $8, $9, $14, whatever. Uh, most of the rides I've taken so far, I've taken three or four scooter rides, and it's $2 or less. Okay, so, yeah, let's tell people how this works. Are there docking stations like there are with B-Cycle? Um, is there an app on your phone? Like, how do you acquire said bird scooter? Okay, it's uh, it's sort of like car to go, I suppose, would be the closest. Uh, you get an app. Okay. Just like you did with Uber and Lyft, and right. I suppose with Cardigo. I'm a little out of date there. And then they're where they are. They they don't have a dock. They're, they can be anywhere, really, in, in Austin, but they're going to be concentrated in the middle part of the city, as you said. And when you go to the thing, you can, you know, put your phone over the uh, the, the code, the little square code. I forget what those are the, called. The, the QR, it's like a QR, QR code. code. Yeah. QR code. And that unlocks it. And then you scoot along and press the accelerator down if you do it better than I did the first time or two. Do you need and, a helmet? Uh, one of them says you need a helmet. The other says a helmet is recommended. City law does not require you to have a helmet. Okay. And, oh. of course, right. there are no helmets. Provided. Sitting on the sidewalk <laughs> next to it, just luckily. It presupposes that you're just walking around with a helmet like, oh, okay. a scooter. <laughs> Got it. Okay. And um are these intended for, like, what kind of commutes are we talking here? Like, UT campus, that's fine. Like, surely it's illegal on, like, in some parts. Like, you would not see one of these, like, flying down Mobac. Right. Uh, they're legal uh, on any street where the speed limit is 35 miles per hour okay, or less. And that's in the traffic lane, if you're crazy enough to do that. They're legal on any bike lane. And, of course, there won't be bike lanes on streets with a greater than 35 mile per hour speed limit. But for instance, on 360, where people take bikes in the uh, shoulder, yeah, these yeah. are not legal. Yeah, and, okay. and they're pretty gravelly there. You're not going to be riding this on, yeah. on something that's not as smooth. And yeah. I, I rode one on the way uh, here from an interview a couple hours ago for the first time, and I'd ridden, tried them at South by Southwest. Uh, and the two companies are Bird and Lime Bike. I tried Lime Bike at South by Southwest and Bird today. And I kind of had the issue where, like, it, it just feels wobbly under you. Mm-hmm. And, and I know you're not, ex- and Ben, you're not experienced on these, and neither am I. But, like, I, I mean, I've ridden a skateboard. I've, I'm good on a bike. But I still felt like, like mm. going down Congress Avenue Bridge on this thing, like your legs are kind of shaky. Did you just feel like kind of vulnerable too? Because, um, you know, I, I get it, like having it at St. Edwards or in residential area, but 
going down Congress or downtown, I think I would feel just like a little unsafe <laughs> on my scooter. Absolutely. I, uh, one of the ones I rented uh, was was at Joe's Coffee on South Congress. And I immediately, before I uh, started the rental, I chose the extremely steep hill of James Street because mm. I didn't want to have anything to do. Yeah. Now, it turns out I did some research after that. It's legal anywhere it is legal to ride a bicycle, mm-hmm. which includes all the sidewalks in Austin except for certain ones downtown and 15th Street north of the Capitol and, of all things, the drag. But you can be on any sidewalk on a bicycle in Austin, and mm. other than those, oh, that's so and therefore you though. can ride a scooter on any of those as well. The one exception are uh, paths, you know, off-street trails like the hike and bike trail around the lake. Basically, the definition is if it's a, in a park and it's not a roadway in a park like the the drive at Zilker, that you know the various drives. But if it's a essentially a path within a, a park, and you can ride a bike there. You cannot ride a scooter there. I feel like there's the lines are sort of blurring between what is a bike versus what is a scooter versus what is an electric bike. I mean, I, I rode the I've talked about the hardcore mini bikes mm-hmm. that I'm a fan of. That looked like a motorcycle, but it's actually an electric bike. But then you have police like you can't ride a motorcycle over here. Like it's a bike, it's a bike. I swear. Well, and then of course you could have an e-assist bike where you can pedal the darn thing. Mm-hmm. So if you're on the hike and bike trail and it's equipped with electricity, but you're not using the electricity at that moment. You know, you get a lot of looks. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, so let's talk about this. Uh, the reaction has been, you know, I, I'm I see a lot of them at UT. Like that's where I see a concentration of, of mm. students kind of zipping around on these. And the issue it seems like they're trying to solve is that last mile issue of like I can get to downtown, but yeah. I can't find a parking space, or I can't get from this part of downtown. And you to can that. pack this easily in your car. Well, so. except, I mean, you could pack one of these, but it is after all rental. Uh, oh, okay. You just leave it where yeah. you leave it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, now, to be frank, I mean, some, I mean, like, you could take it unlocked, right? put it in your car and drive three miles and then get back that's out. That's what I'm saying, you know, like for South by Southwest. That's not how it's supposed to happen. Yeah, the, the, okay. the idea is that they, that they would be readily available. You know, you would just look on the map and, okay, there's one. I'll go grab it. Although today, when I was trying to find one, I walked like two blocks to get to one. And by the time I got there, it had disappeared off the map. So then I had to go find another one, and, mm. then there, and then that was there. But once you're done with it, you just leave it wherever. You know, that's you the whole truly thing. leave it wherever. Yeah, although wow, they, okay. they they also they say you know they wanted uh, I think Bird even after they got in trouble with the city right when they launched uh, illegally, they said well, well we really want them left you know in bike lanes or you know par- in parking places for cars or whatever and, and that's being completely flouted. I mean that's not happening. <laughs> But most people, I've no, in my observation, especially the last week, try to leave it by a bike rack. They try to leave it by a wall. Uh, they, you know, you're not seeing too many of them just tumped over on their side or parked or on a kickstand right in the middle of the sidewalk. I haven't. I don't, I don't know about you guys. No, I, I, I've seen them kind of parked. But bear in mind, there's only a few hundred. Their uh, birds practice in Santa Monica and San Francisco um, uh, has been to really flood the zone with literally thousands of these things. They've got a lot of venture capital that they've been given. Uh, I think I've seen the number 115. I've also seen the number 250 million. So I'm not sure which, but they got a lot of money and only 100 employees. So they're spending it on on hardware mm-hmm. so far. I want to read some uh, replies we got on our Twitter accounts when we asked our listeners if they had tried these. And um, we have three replies. Nate at B. Rolf Disco, I hope I'm pronouncing your Twitter handle correctly, says, no, I'm an adult. 
Um, so is Ben. Quick and to the point there. Okay, Ruben Miranda says, yes, and surprisingly fun. And then Colby Simpson wrote us, no, and I wish they would stay off the sidewalk. Walking in this town is hazardous enough. Yeah. See, like that, yeah, that to me is like the false security you get from uh, riding bikes on sidewalks is carrying over to this, which is so, so dangerous. Like people backing out of their driveways that don't see you in time. Like, yikes, be be careful, people. Um, okay, so what's next? Do you think that the city is going to try to create some laws for these? Do you think Bird is just going to keep going, um, try to expand? Where where does the uh, where are the winds blowing, Ben? Well, the city's trying to do something about it. Of course, they tried to do something about Uber and Lyft, and that didn't work out so well. But on the council agenda for Thursday, there is a, um, a an ordinance that's really adding to existing ordinances to try to make it explicit that they have to have a permit from the city to operate this business that that it's illegal to operate an unpermitted commercial enterprise on the street which is what they're doing without uh, and so the city will pass that I feel quite sure maybe Thursday maybe a little after they're basically they're playing catch up mode once again like happened with Uber and Lyft they put them off they put them off they put them off and these companies just said well we'll ask for forgiveness rather than permission the city kind of realizes it this whole pilot they were going to do with bikes, they're now saying, uh, never mind, we're, we're just going to start a permit program. So basically, Bird and Lime Bike have won, is what it amounts to. Hmm. Uh, and there will be more. They're not the only two scooter companies that are out there. There's another one that's called Spin, and they were part of that forum that I told you about. And Spin, so far, has played nice. I don't quite know why, because I think it's pretty obvious what's going on now. And, and yet, I have yet to see a single Spin scooter out there. Exactly. So see how that works out for them. Mm-hmm. Well, Alyssa... Well, no, they, they haven't launched. Oh, they haven't? Oh. They haven't launched. That's what I'm saying. They're playing nice, but they've now... Uh, Limebike waited about 10 days after Bird, and then, yeah. they, and then eventually they told their folks that I've talked to, we can't do this. You yeah. Know, eventually people will say, I'm going to go get me a Bird, like right. we say, I'm going to take an Uber. Right. It's like a do nice guys finish first, after all. Yeah. Or if yeah. you're aggressive, I'm going to give you the bird (laughs) and then they take Uh your scooter and they drive off (laughs) listeners we would love to know what your thoughts are on these scooters in austin do you have thoughts please come find us on twitter at love austin 360 or our facebook and uh, check out the video that ben ware did it's on uh, mystatesman.com that uh, ken herman provides narration for very beautiful very funny video (laughs) i can't wait Ken Dunn is a former homicide detective and a self-professed Patricia Cornwell addict. He's also been reading a book a week for 17 years and is now hoping his book habit will catch. The founder of GoRead.com talks to us about his dream of creating the Spotify of books. 40 or 50 years ago, there was only one way to get a book published, and that was a traditional publisher and an agent in the, the months and months of slogging and begging, and then... In the middle of all that, vanity publishing was created where people that were too impatient and had the money would just pay somebody to do it. And then with the introduction of Amazon and everything that happened 30 years ago, self-publishing became popular. And now today, the newest iteration is called hybrid publishing. So it's self-publishing, but the books are in bookstores and Barnes & Noble has 30, 30 to 40% of their books that are in there are actually self-published, hybrid published books. And yeah. 
a lot of authors are going that route. So last year, 1.2 million books were published and 80% of them were published by people either through self-publishing or hybrid publishing. So what's fascinating to me about this whole topic is I feel like the unspoken thing here with either regular gatekeeper publishing, Random House, uh, St. Martin's Press, whatever, and vanity publishing is privilege. Like you either have the funds to be able to pay tens of thousands of dollars to publish your own book, or you were connected to the channel somehow to go to Princeton, like have like um, Joyce Carol Oates as your, as your, one of your professors, like you somehow, and you know, maybe you get lucky. Maybe you like send a book in, it goes to the slush pile, someone plucks it out, finds it, like you're a genius. But that happened so rarely. And now I think of this analog story happening on YouTube and Spotify for musicians and people who are able to self-publish and gain an audience that way. And it became super cool, like this very indie of the people artist rather than top-down like um, Virgin Records plucking you out of obscurity. And so do you really think this is happening with books? Because I keep waiting for that moment when like self-publishing is going to seem super cool and indie like it does in the music world. Are you think we are finally moving to that place where it is? I think it's, Be honest. I think it's there <laughs> now. It's funny because we're, we're now being called Spotify for authors and we have thousands of authors that are saying about this about us because they initially joined to create accounts and connect with the readers and then they discover that we have that whole suite of services at reduced prices but the books are coming out at that same high level of quality. And and. You know, if you look at the publishing industry overall, last year in America, there was $75 billion in revenue created in this space. And it's the largest industry that hasn't gone through that change like the music industry. And we are on the cusp of it right now. That's so cool. Well, so I want to talk a little bit more about your personal story, Ken, um, and where you came from as a reader. So did you go to Princeton, Ken? Were you that man who had Joyce Carol Oates as his literary professor? You know, in one of the many books I'm going to write in the future, I'll play that person. But it, <laughs> <laughs> it didn't really start that way. I grew up in uh, Nova Scotia in Canada. I didn't finish high school. I was in the military when I was 17, and I went a totally different route than academia. But when I was 30 years old, I left uh, a policing career. I was a homicide detective at 30, and I walked away from it to start my own business. It was The idea was spawned by the birth of my first child. And luckily for me, my very first mentor who helped me get my first business off the ground, he said, I have two rules if you're going to work with me. Number one, I had to do anything he told me to do. Number two, I had to read a book every week that he would give me. And that was 17 years ago, and I haven't missed. I've I've read a book a week for 17 years, and it's changed my life. So, like... Bro, like that spreadsheet is like forty thousand deep. <laughs> you told me off mic. That is nuts. Are you reading? Like, what are you reading on that huge list? So the first three years after I got out of policing, I was building a business. It was a mortgage company that did incredibly well. And through that time, my mentor was having me read books that were related to that. Right. Really boring finance books and management books and sure. leadership books. But after the addiction had grabbed control of me, I started branching out and started. I love, love, love. Patricia Cornwell. So if you have a connection yeah. to Patricia, I need it. I've read all of her books. I'm a cop at heart. And I've I've read, I read about 40% fiction and about 60% nonfiction. Did anything surprise memoirs. you about what you drift to, you know, which you're attracted to reading now? Any genres? I, I didn't realize that I would become 
um, a fan of fiction, a mm. fan of you know abstract fiction, mm. science fiction, and things. And I truly am just in love with reading because uh, you know some of the science fiction work that's out there really stretches the imagination. But it's it's fun to have your imagination stretched. So I wanted to ask about uh, your passion for reading is is infectious, and I know that uh, erasing illiteracy in this country is a big part of the mission for GoRead.com. Can you tell me a little bit about the ways that you are getting books in the hands of kids and just helping out illiteracy programs around the country? I was uh, coming back from Asia years ago and stuck in an airport in Tokyo, and I started studying illiteracy statistics. And, Addy, I I don't think I've slept since. The Mm -hmm. statistics are scary. If we look at the most advanced country in the world that we live in today, last year in America, 12% of kids in America didn't. They graduated from high school, and they were illiterate. They couldn't read. They were functionally illiterate. That means that they can look at an entire paragraph of words, and they know those words make sentences, but if you had them read a paragraph and said, tell me what that means, they wouldn't be able to answer it. And what's even scarier is another 18% of kids don't graduate from high school. And so the statistics are just mind-boggling. And and the government actually puts these stats out. They said that uh, an estimated 31 million Americans last year couldn't read a single sentence. And that's just that's just inexcusable. So we launched a foundation called the Go Read Children's Literacy Foundation. Folks like you are now calling us the Tom Shoes of the book business, and I love that. Every book that's bought on our platform, we give a book to a kid. And my wife and I, our mission is that before we're finished on this earth, we are going to have a system put in place that will one day lead to every child on this planet having the gift of reading. Mm. That's fascinating and moving. So let's talk about the experience of being a reader on the site, because we talked a little bit about an author, and you get all kinds of resources and support. So being a reader, you mentioned that it feels a little bit more being on Facebook. So it has a social quality to reading that is incentivized. So every time you can do certain things on the site that get you lit coins and from there you can buy books. So talk us through what it's like to be a reader on your site. So it was really funny because when I first had the idea to do this, it was just about building this social community for readers. And back in the day, I was super enamored with Ancestry.com. And when I saw where the industry was going, the book business, and where everything eventually was going to one day be digital. Now, I don't know if I agree with that or not, but there's a theory out there that that's the case. My first thought was, why don't I create a platform, a social environment where the readers can and build the libraries of the books they love, and there it would be for future generations. But then, you know, when you have a great idea, girls, your mind goes nuts, right? You can't stop thinking about it, and it gets bigger and bigger. And so I said, well, if I'm going to do that, then I might as well figure out how to sell the books. So we went out and negotiated deals with all the publishers and distributors, and now there's over 30 million books on the website, and over 50,000 new titles are added every week. And so when readers join, they tell us about what genres they like, and we hook them up with the right authors that we think they should follow based on their genres. Then they build their libraries, they connect with other readers, they follow their favorite authors, and they're inevitably going to discover a book they want to read. Well, when they join our platform, they know that every book they buy on our platform, they're going to buy it. It's going to be a little bit less expensive than anywhere else. But most importantly, we give a book to a child every time they buy a book. And it feels very much like Facebook. I, I, I tell people in passing, it's like Facebook meets Barnes & Noble. 
Cool. How much does it cost to join? It's free. It's just like Facebook. There's no cost at all. In fact, readers collect lit coins from social activity that they could use the lit coins to actually buy books. So how much time is an average person spending on Facebook right now? So way, ima- way too much. Yeah, don't admit it. <laughs> but imagine if every time you, can you get post- coins to buy friends. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> well, imagine if you could literally, for every post you made, every like, every share, you could collect these points and you could use the points to buy books. And in doing that, you could give a child the gift of reading. That's pretty cool. So I was really fascinated that you opened the company originally in Las Vegas, but decided to move it to Austin a couple of years ago. And I think that speaks something about the culture. This says something about the culture of Austin. Austin Cleon was on the show and said that Austin is as much a books town as a live music town with not only the library now, but we've got these great bookstores and book events and the book festival. What was attractive to you about Austin? Yeah, so it was two things. When I first created this company, we I moved from Canada to the United States and I had it on good advice that Las Vegas was going to be the future of Silicon Valley. And it didn't turn out to be that way. It's a different demographic of people that are driven to different industries that are what there. And as I started fundraising for the company, I found myself in Austin and I thought, it, I made the wrong mm-hmm. choice. So we moved the company here and I would agree I would agree with him. It really is a book town. And what I think we've seen since we've been here for the last two years two years, is we are very much a technology company in the publishing industry, in the book business. And we have the best of both worlds because we're tapping into an incredibly vibrant literary community here. But coupled with that, it is so much a technology company. It's like our perfect home. I bet you employ a lot of book lovers. We actually have a mandatory rule that everybody that works in our company, book 75, a week. Book a week. not a book a week, they freak out <laughs> over that, lot. but they have to read for 20 minutes a day at work. Oh my oh, gosh. That's delicious. Okay, so on that, lovely. I want to ask you one last question. What are you reading right now? So I'm actually reading a memoir right now. It's It's called uh, Shoe Dog. It's, uh, it's Phil Knight's story on, on his memoir and how he built Nike, and it's a lot of fun. And you just started on the plane today. I read about a quarter of the book on a plane today. I'll, I think it'll take me just a couple days for but that But are you going to finish that one? I am. I love the story. I, I You know what? It's really funny because when I first started, I was reading books to help me in business, and then I branched out to fiction, and that's where I created my enamorment for Patricia Cornwell. But now, in this age of my life, I really am am reading a lot of memoirs. Uh, you learn so much by just listening to the story of somebody else. That's well-crafted, of course. Well, Ken, entrepreneur, autodidact. Sir, thank you so much for joining us and telling us about GoRead.com. I love talking to anybody who loves books. It's been a pleasure to be here with both of you. got Eric Webb with us for a web report. Eric, what do you got for us this week? We've got Turtles, Turtles in the Half Shell, Turtle Power, for a little uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles reference. But no, uh, if there's one thing that UT is known for besides Longhorns, it's Turtles. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the Turtle Pond. Did, did <laughs> I, have one, jer- I have a jersey. Did I, <laughs> I mean, honestly, that would be a pretty fearsome mascot. But did either of you all go to UT? Did not. No. Okay, well, I am a Longhorn born and raised in Austin, went to UT, bleed burnt orange, and everyone loves the Turtle Pond, which is roughly at the center of campus. It's around the tower. It's next to a greenhouse. Uh, last week, the internet rumor mill uh, grabbed onto, of all things, our beloved Turtle Pond, and there were rumors 
started in a UT meme Facebook group called, wait for it, UT Long Memes for Hornsy Teens. I don't know. I didn't name it. Uh, Kids are you sure? That sounds like a very Eric thing. Yeah, it does sound like (laughs) me. Yeah, you're right. You got me. But no, uh, there was a rumor started that they were going to demolish the turtle pond and the greenhouse by the turtle pond. And people weren't having it, guys. What? I would be heartbroken. Mizzou had lots of, uh, you know, iconic statues and mm-hmm. places, and, and th- those become sacred. It's part of your indoctrination into the culture of a community. Mm-hmm. And I can understand why they would be upset that the turtle pond would go away. Did Absolutely. people take to Facebook, causes.com? Oh. oh, it went full viral. Uh, a couple tweets from people. Lauren tweeted, I just found out that UT is getting rid of the turtle pond, and honestly, I'm ready to fight. And then Leo tweeted, I do not slice my soul in half every semester for UT to get rid of the turtle pond. No ma'am, no spam, no Pam, no cornbread, no green beans, no nothing. Do not touch the turtles. I want to be that man's friend. All (laughs) all fired up. Tensions were high, except that it was fake news. Drop it. No, really? All fake news. So is this Russian bots coming in to stir us up? This seems more just like some mischievous pranksters uh, in a (sighs) UT meme group. Like Texas A&M or something? Ooh, that would be be good if they had infiltrated this this UT memes group. Does does Alex Jones have a kid that goes to UT, maybe? (laughs) I mean, it could just be Alex. So what happened was... uh, the College of Natural Science actually had to take to Twitter to clarify this, which they did so, uh, and they tweeted, the turtle pond is a <laughs> they're much... Like, they're like, first, what's a Twitter? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, they know. Actually, they have a pretty good Twitter account. <laughs> but they said, uh, the, and I quote, the turtle pond is a much-loved UT Austin space kept up by the College of Natural Sciences. There are no plans for changes to it. Rumors to the contrary that have appeared on social media are false. And the school also clarified that the green ha- uh, the greenhouse, which uh, was recently closed to students due to there were some glass panel safety issues, uh, that's also not being demolished. So again, all fake news, not real. Uh, the only construction plan for the area, according to a UT spokesman uh, quoted by the, by the Daily Texan, which is the student newspaper at UT, uh, they're working on a sagging sewer line. Hmm, so I-, I guess you could say <laughs> this whole rumor was full of it. <laughs> that sounds like a commercial for something. So, Do you have sagging sewer lines? Questions about the turtles. How many yes. are there? Are they studied? Do people steal them? Do they paint their little backs with nail polish like we did when we were kids? I hope you don't steal them. I think they're fairly protected. Um, mm-hmm. And I know that, uh, again, the College of Natural Sciences maintains that space. So that means they've got to have some cameras on there, right? Yeah, I track. think so. Yeah, yeah. Also, uh, in the Daily Texan uh, article where we found this news, um, there was they actually specify and I wish I had it uh, d- jotted down with me but go go to the Daily Texan story about the turtle pond they say exactly what uh, breeds of turtles are in the pond and they have amazing names I am here for that I want I want like a TV show about the turtles in the pond is, at it, UT. is it like yes. Donatello Raphael <laughs> oh not like, like individual like, names like the names of oh. the breeds of turtles oh, are like the, the, like if you were a turtle watch, mm-hmm. watcher you could Do see do they have any social media accounts yet Oh, surely there are. Yeah, you would think so. Surely there are. There's there's uh, Twitter accounts like for the bats on the bridge. I know the so. bison. Remember the bison that got loose yes. at the Wildflower Center? Yes. Those are the, the glory days of Twitter. The mongoose. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, do we have we been able to trace back where this rumor got started or meme got started? No, no one knows. Oh yeah. Well, or, so the rumor got started in that uh, UT me- that Facebook meme group, that UT long memes for hornsy teens. But we so don't know. They who, just come who. up with lies. In that meme group or what? It's creative writing. <laughs> it's creative writing. I mean, it just sounds to me like there were just some tricksters yeah. that were trying to stir some stir some stuff up, yeah. stir, stir some shells. But why won't they think of the turtles? Here we are. The turtles are really anything. who hurts, who just, get hurt here. Just some, some scape reptiles. Scapegoat. Scape, yeah. 
You see what I was, that was going good. for I there. I did. I did. Yeah. That was good. It wasn't my best, but... Eric, thanks so much for coming in and uh, keeping us hip to the turtle scene at UT. Now, I, I did it for the turtles. Now, you may exit the room very, very slowly. I certainly will. <laughs> Now we've come to the moment in our show where we have a toast. And this is where we go around the table recommending some things we think you, our listeners, should check out. So, Omar, how about you get us started? Okay, so I'm, I'm not a country music fan. I, You know, when the CMAs come on, I, I go the other way. <laughs> uh, it, but so it takes something really remarkable for me to listen to a country music album. And, you know, I even like Willie Nelson, who I saw recently in concert, I was like, okay, I've seen 20 minutes of this. I'm good. I'm going home. <laughs> I saw Willie in concert. I'm, I'm great. Uh, but C- Casey Musgraves has a new album called Golden Hour, and I have, have not been a Casey Musgraves fan. I haven't been on that train. I'm a late comer to this. But I started hearing a lot of my podcast friends and blog friends and even uh, Jeff Solomon over at uh, Texas Monthly, a uh, former coworker of ours, just rave about this album. And I was like, okay, I got to get in on this, see what's up with this. And it's so good, you guys. This album is just – it's sort of kind of country pop – uh, crossover with some very kind of dance flourishes to it but the songs that are just love songs are just so simple and stripped down and beautiful she's got a great voice the songwriting is sharp uh, but not trying too hard and just I just love everything about this album there's not a dud song on it it's it's all good uh, Golden Hour you can find it on Spotify uh, you can get your your country music on uh, there's a Texas reference in the first song so like I was sold on that <laughs> so have you uh, listened to the first album? I haven't heard anything okay, of hers except so this album. Go back and listen to that one too, just because her songwriting really shows off in these in that first album where she had all these hits about, you know, I don't know. She just a, she's Some a countercultural commentary. Yeah, she's yeah. a counter. She's she's a Willie protege in that she's a counterculture, you know, country oh, okay. musician. Um, you know, I saw her perform live once and was a little underwhelmed, and so I I really would like to encourage her to keep you know keep working on maybe her presence because I think that she's a super awesome talented artist and you know I actually have not listened to very much of this new album but what I have heard on the radio I've really liked so. yeah it's and there's not a lot of political stuff on it or anything that yeah. that's super social commentary on it there's just real simple well-built songs. sturdy songs yeah. that like you could that you know I can play it for my kids I can play you could hang like, your your spurs on <laughs> I, yeah I could play it for anybody and anybody <laughs> would find something to like about this album it's just and I think she was going for that I read an That's interview cool. that she was going for this sort of expansive space country of like very inclusive uh, sounding music like to try to stretch her audience a little bit and it worked because like I'm a fan now do you can, let me ask you a question Omar do you listen to Sturgill Simpson because he is like mm, not exactly the male version of this but he's also like your he, he like Casey Musgraves attracts a wider swath of listeners mm-hmm. than just you know classic ride or die country music fans I've only heard the cover that you mentioned of Nirvana uh, of his and and I think I saw an SNL performance but yeah like the closest I get to something like this is like Wild Child which is kind of folksy Mm -hmm, kind mm -hmm. of pop Uh, but yeah I I can't resist this like great voice great songwriting simple songs just really ear candy it's just cool I can't wait to listen that's a good recommendation golden hour Okay, I have an irresistible toast. I would like to go next because everyone is talking about this. It's a docuseries on Netflix called Wild Wild Country. It's produced by um, uh, the, oh my God, uh, Guy on Transparent, Mark and Jay. Duplass. 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 Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Sounds like <laughs> two syllables. <laughs> okay. Those are, they're Austin boys. They, didn't they yes. go to UT? Yeah, yeah, yeah they good, totally yeah. did. And, um, 
Anyway, so that's your first like stamp of quality is the Duplass, Duplass brothers' involvement in it. And second of all, the story is just crazy. I'll give you just a little tiny sketch of it, uh, but because we're only two episodes in. But um, in the uh, late 60s and 70s, this guru had an ashram in India. Um, Bhagwan is his name. And it starts attracting just hundreds and thousands of people from all over the world. So many that they have to relocate. And when they do, they choose an a large ranch in Oregon next to this tiny town called Antelope, Oregon. And it's just in Nowheresville. I mean, it's just like desert and trees and nothing. And um, they move in. Antelope, Oregon has 40 people in it. The um, This guru and his followers bring in like 50,000 people <laughs> and like set up um, houses and farmland and their own airport and their own airplanes and the guru's 10 Rolls Royces. Does um, a Walmart magically appear? <laughs> and Walmart hasn't appeared yet. But um, anyway, it has this great, um, what I kind of understand to be the villain of the story at the center of it. She is the mouthpiece of the guru because he stops talking for a while and she's his secretary, but she's really like the leader of the organization. <laughs> she's the best name ever. <laughs> Ma Anand Sheila. <laughs> it's her name. <laughs> and Ma Ananchila runs things with an iron fist. And um, at the first two episodes, I'm feeling more sympathetic for the followers, not the townspeople, because townspeople seem like, you know, maybe a little bigoted, close-minded. Um, but then I, they're hinting at some shady, very shady stuff to come within the um the religious group. So anyway, Wild Wild Country, everyone's talking about it. I want more people to talk about it with me. So <laughs> listeners, if you have, like, tweet at me. Let's, let's, I'm just amazed that it. this story, I heard it on a podcast uh, maybe a couple of years ago, and I never heard about this cult situation. Uh, well, it was happening when we were being born. Like, well, and I was obsessed with, like, Jim Jones and, and you know, yes. the Guyana thing when I was a kid. But I think that that must have just superseded this in terms of, like, cult, dramatic cult stories. Yeah. And so that's why, collectively, America almost forgot about this. Totally. Yeah. I mean, they did some pretty audacious things. Like, they, um, they all start, like, <laughs> the followers start working in the town of Antelope and buying up all the property. And for a while, they rename legally the city of Antelope, the city of Rajneesh. (laughs) They like buy a greasy spoon that's like Joe's coffee or whatever. And they turn it into like the Flying Buddha Lotus or something. (laughs) Which goes over great in America when you just show up in a town and and (laughs) rename it and take over. Yeah. Anyway, wild, wild country. Okay. So I have a, uh, this is a quick one, two punch on podcasts because uh, Gabby Dunn, who does Bad With Money, is a well-known podcaster. I am just now getting hip to her show. Need to go back to listen to the first season, which basically helps people deal with their anxieties around money. And now she's starting her third season. And once she got through the first season, apparently of like the personal sort of anxious working out of all of those issues. She's now stepped back and is really dealing like globally, like wh- how the first episode of the first season is how has institutionalized racism benefited the American economy and how those two things are linked. And so she gets real deep, but she's a comedian and she's hilarious. So Gabby Dunn is just top notch. But through her, she did an interview with Dylan Marin as sort of like a bonus episode before this first season. And so Dylan Marin 
I found out, hosts conversations with people who hate me. And so now I'm a fan of hey. his podcast where he uh, interviews people who talk crap about him on the internet. That was the idea behind the show originally. And now he's actually introducing people who, you know, like this woman kind of wrote this critique of The Office. And sure enough, there are these tweets with this guy's like, you should, you know, burn on the stake. He gets the guy who sent the tweet to have a phone conversation with the author and at the end he's this oh my he, god he, i love yeah, that it's really a pretty cool way to think about conflict res- resolution to think about uh the anonymity online and basically having the same decency that you would have if somebody is in your person in front of you um and so dylan Marin and conversations with people who hate me and don't don't sleep on gabby dunn bad with money Okay, these are, these are some great toasts, guys. Yep. Well, well done us. We have lots of content for the next yeah. week. <laughs> They're keeping you busy. That's our show. She's Addie. He's Omar. I'm Tali. Check out the Austin 360 Instagram and Facebook for more about life in Austin. And talk to us on Twitter at loveaustin360. If you liked what you heard today, leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher. It helps other people discover the show. I love you so much. The Austin 360 podcast is produced by Alyssa Vidales. The show is made with support from features editor Sharon Chapman and the entire Austin 360 staff. Our theme music is from local band Hardproof, which you should definitely check out at hardproofmusic.com. You can find more about the show and its contributors at austin360.com slash loveaustin360. And if you want to pitch an idea for the show or give us feedback, shoot us a note at loveaustin360 at statesman.com or leave a voicemail at 512-445-3672. This show is brought to you by our sponsor, Lexus of Austin. We couldn't do the show without you, dear listener, and we can't thank you enough for lending us your ears, your comments, and Levitation Fest tickets. Until next week, we'll see you at the Buda Wiener Dog Races. Oh, 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 oh,